Just a little bit more about uh, myself. Um, I've been in Lewis Center, Ohio, Columbus area for the last four years. It'll be four years in uh, May. I came here to help uh, plant Adventure Church with Pastor Kyle Hammond. Pastor Kyle Hammond was my youth pastor 12 years ago. Uh, This transitions into my big why behind youth ministry, why it's necessary, why it's important, is because uh, on a Wednesday night uh, when I was still very bitter with a church split that my family had experienced when I was in junior high, my mom made me go to youth group. Um, We had a, what's going on? Um, we had a, a nice little conversation that started out with, hey, new youth pastor is in town, you should check it out. And I said, no, thank you. And then she said, no, you really should go check. And I said, I don't know if you heard me the first time, no, thank you. Uh, and to which she added those very uh, powerful words, those two powerful words that parents, I don't, I have yet to use them, but you know how it works, um, where she said, you should go check out the youth ministry tonight or else. And at that point, I knew what my plans were that night. And so, uh, went out there that night, did not listen to a word that the pastor was saying. Uh, I do remember this, that I was writing notes back and forth between myself and Kristen Pribinich. Um And I'm pretty sure she's married, I'm married, so it, it worked out for both of us that that didn't go long term. Um, but at the end of the service, for whatever reason... Holy Spirit just decided to nudge me and the pastor uh, called for anybody that wanted to get right with God. And so I walked down to the altar with no one else, just myself, because it was really awkward, and uh, rededicated my life. Um, The pastor thought that I was getting saved for the first time, so he was really encouraged, because I would have been his first salvation at the new church. Afterwards, I had to burst his bubble and said, sorry, dude, got saved a while ago, but rededication is just as important. And um, he invested into me. I don't know what he saw in me then, um, but he began to give me opportunities with worship, um, with teaching, and I was definitely not equipped to do either. And 12 years later, uh, I'm now working with him at Lewis Center uh, with Adventure Church. And so, um, for me, youth youth ministry matters um, because... Although it would appear that everything is going over our kids' heads, it would appear that things are going in one ear and out the other. It would appear that they're just not really feeling things, thinking things. At 13, I was bitter at God because of a church split. And for three years, I did not want to step foot inside a church. I did not want to make friends when my parents tried to get me to connect. And I remember saying this. I remember saying, why? So that God can split the church again and I'll lose all my friends? And so our students are feeling things. They're thinking things. They're wrestling with God. They may not show it, they may not want to talk about it, but it's there. I forget what book it was. I think it was um, Jesus the Questioner or something like that. But he, he, he went on to make a say where he said, all of us are hungry for God. All of us are hungry for God. Most of us just don't know that's what we're hungry for. All of us are hungry for who God is, but most of us, most of the people around us will spend their entire lives trying to find something to satisfy. And we have the opportunity as ministers, we have the opportunity as youth pastors to show them this is what you're hungry for. And so if it doesn't click the first service, it doesn't click the second service, and you've been investing in someone for five years, have Hope, have hope, um, because it, it matters. And so today, um, I, I've got a fairly um, specific concept I want to be talking about. Um, I want to talk about what it looks like to be the youth pastor and be the blank, be full time in your own profession, um, to be the youth pastor and the 
IT guy like Matt was talking about where you got hired on and they just assume that you know how websites work and so here you go, learn how to do that. Um, how many of you are um, a youth pastor and something else, whether you have a full-time job or you have other responsibilities? Almost all of us, okay. Great, exactly. And, and so even if that's not you, um, I think that what we're talking about today really can just help you in life as you're just trying to balance um, everything. So um, all of us, if, even if you are a full-time youth pastor and that's just what you do, I would imagine that you have relationships in your life. I would imagine that you have other things that you are focusing on in your life and hopefully this will help you. Um, but for me, um, I have what I would consider a multi faceted um, position at our church. I'm the associate pastor and um, if anyone's been an associate pastor for any length of time, you know that just means that you just do whatever the lead pastor thinks that you're called to do. And and we need those types of positions. Um, and so I, I have a very hate-love relationship with what I do. I get to have my hands in a lot of different areas. Um, I am considered the youth pastor in our church. I help lead our student ministry that we just launched two years ago. Um, I help lead our creative ministry. Um, We have an incredible creative uh, media director that I work with, but I still cast leadership over that area. Um, I still uh, help and uh, give leadership to our worship team on Sunday mornings. Um, and so one of the, the wrestling matches that I have is, is how to stay sane when you are doing all of these different things, when you are pulled in all of these different directions, and then also how to be successful in what you are doing. And so my big idea today is how to be sane, how to stay sane, and be successful in a multifaceted ministry position. And like I said, I have a love-hate relationship with this. There are so many days where I'm just like, God, I just, I love this. I can't believe that for whatever reason, you think I'm capable of getting to help in all of these different areas. God, thank you for calling me to this. And then it's almost as if in the same breath, I'm like, God, why have you cursed me? God, what have I done to fall from your grace? God, you called me to youth ministry. Anyone feel like that? God, I remember the experience. You called me to youth ministry. That was the calling. Was there a voicemail I missed out on? Like, because I did not sign up for this and now here I am in a youth ministry position and yet I also have to help with life groups and small groups and I'm a janitor. Amen? Anyone been there? I was there for the first nine months of this gig, okay? And you're... And you're trying to prepare for your message while scrubbing the toilet. And you're like, there's got to be an illustration in here somewhere. <laughs> right? And, and it just, it really can, it can get into your head. It can exhaust uh, you and it really can drive you nuts. And if you guys know anything about just how the human mind works, if you're crazy and insane, you don't accomplish much. You don't get a whole lot done. Um, But before we really kind of get into some um, applications and some practical um, things, I think that it's, it's most important for us really to get to the root of the problem, that when you are struggling within your multifaceted uh, split priorities position where you've got a lot of different things going on, you're most passionate about youth ministry, but yet you're also you know responsible for this, you're also responsible for that. I think it's really important for us to get to the root of the problem. And I think um, that you can spend a lot of time taking leadership um, you know, resources, you can spend a lot of time reading, you can listen to podcasts, and you can get all of this great knowledge in your head, but if you don't get to what's really frustrating you in your role, you will become a really, really great leader who does not last. Because if there's something that's always surfacing and always bothering you and always agitating you, you can be successful, you can help people, but eventually 
you will not last. And so here's what I'm going to venture to say. I'm going to venture to say that if you're in a multifaceted position where you feel like your, your time is split, you're, you're trying to figure out how to be most passionate about youth ministry while doing all of these other things, I'm going to make a venture and guess that you are most frustrated not with what you're doing, but with how you feel about what you're doing. That the the source, the problem, is not your position. It's not what you are being asked to do. It's not the fact that you are split up. It's not what you're doing and what you're asked to do, but it's how you feel about what you're doing. Here's an illustration. Um, Think about when you are most frustrated most discouraged in your role. I want us all, you probably don't have to think back too far, but think about that day where you're just like, really God? Is is this it? Now ask yourself a question. Um, is that when you feel like you are winning in every area that you're working in? Are you most frustrated when you're off the stage and you just killed a message and 75 kids got saved? Like, is that when you're most frustrated with God? Is that when you're like, God, why do I have to do this? I mean, we could all just agree, like, no. You're not most frustrated when you are winning. But the whole youth ministry and blank rears its ugly head at you when you feel like you are not winning at all. Welcome to my life. I very rarely, very rarely feel like I am stomping the yard in any areas that I'm working in. There is always something that I am doing and I'm like, oh, this could have been better. Oh, this video, oh, we, we could have done that. Oh, my, my message didn't flow very well. It, it really, I just I felt like it, it really wasn't pieced together very well. And as I begin to unpack all of my frustration, it always comes back to the same thing. Well, if only, you guys ever played the if only game when you guys are discouraged? If only I didn't have all these other responsibilities that I had to take care of. If only, I, if only I had more time to spend on the thing that I am most passionate about. If only I were just a youth pastor. Amen. Anyone? Anyone? Amen. <laughs> and you can spend your whole day visualizing and dreaming of this uh, position where you just spend time and all of your time on the one thing that matters to you but it's not realistic with where you're at and so I'd encourage us that that we wake up and my goal today is to hopefully paint a picture that it is possible to be in a split priorities multifaceted ministry position and feel confident about what you're doing I believe that it's completely possible to stay sane and be successful with where you're at and what you are diving into and what you're working at. And so I've got two big practical applications today. Um, None of them, unfortunately, involve a strategy that will leverage um, things against your lead pastor to give you a new job description. Um, But we could talk about uh, that type of conversation another time. But here's my thing. If you are at any point struggling within your role, Maybe you're, you're, you can nod your head and agree with me, Jake. I feel like that. I feel like that often where I, I, I can't... I just feel like I'm always being pulled in all these different directions. And as a result, I don't feel like I'm winning. And because I'm not winning, I want to quit. Does anyone like losing? Anyone like losing? Uh, okay, I just... Growing up, like, 
My mom would always tell me I am an excellent winner, a horrible loser. And I always believe that if you're going to compete, like you compete to win. Like, and so in ministry, none of us like get into ministry and although God, you know, calls us to take up our cross and, you know, I love Switchfoot's song, Only the Losers Win. Anybody Switchfoot fans way back? Did you know that Switchfoot's not like really cool anymore? Like I tried doing a Switchfoot song like two years ago and like the kids were like, mental live? What is this? Okay. Anyways, um... But when you lose and you consistently lose, it will only be a matter of time before you just want to quit. And so we don't want to do that. So if you are struggling to stay sane and be successful in your role, you may need to, and I say you may need to because this is not prescription. This is just some patterns that I've seen in myself and some things that have helped me. And so take it or leave it from the 29-year-old guy um, that may not know a whole lot about anything. But you may need to, number one, re-evaluate your role. If you are struggling to stay sane, if you are struggling to be successful with your areas of ministry, you may need to stop and reevaluate your role. Um, it was 6.30 a.m. on a Friday morning in July of 2015. I was heading to meet um, with a guy named Jeff Sturm. Jeff Sturm um, is now our staff's uh, mentor and consultant uh, of sorts. Um, he is an incredibly ex- uh, successful um, executive with Huntington Bank. Um, and so as I'm driving to, to meet with him, um, I was much uh, struggling with this idea. I had just been into my full-time gig uh, with Adventure Church. I was already um, leading in all of these different ways, and I woke up that morning feeling like a loser. I just felt like I wasn't winning in any areas, and now I'm going to meet with a very, very successful man, very, very accomplished man, and I'm thinking, okay, put on your associate pastor pants, because you're the pastor. You've got to walk in there. You've got to be ready to, to help him. And even though he's probably way smarter than you, you've got to bring something to the table. I arrive at Panera Bread, and within the first 10 minutes, I realize why Jeff Sturm was so good at what he does. And I realized that he had an innate ability to get people to surface their issues. Because within 10 minutes, I am almost crying, just going, and I just feel overwhelmed with this, and I just feel like I can't really win in this area, and I'm trying to lead the youth ministry, but I also have to do the video on Thursday. And, I was, and, and, he's, and he's just listening, and I've just, I still can't imagine how he felt in that moment as I am just fleshing this all out to a complete stranger. And he let me go. And he, he just let me continue on for probably 35 minutes. And, uh, and finally, uh, as I am rounding up uh, just this lecture on my frustrations of why I feel like I'm losing, why I feel like I'm not successful, why this is driving me insane, he just asked me this one question. He probably asked me a number of questions. This is the only one that I really remember, but it really hit me. He asked me, who told you that's how you had to do your position. Who told you that that's how you had to be the associate pastor? Who told you that's how you have to do youth ministry? Who told you that's how you have to lead? And, and immediately it just it dawned on me. That so much of the frustration that I was encountering was because I was trying to be something. I was trying to lead. I was trying to, uh, to, to work in my ministry areas with the assumption that it just had to look like this. As I began to think back upon Pastor Kyle's youth group and how he operated within his role, I began to think, that's what you do, Right? I mean, isn't that what we even do today? You are always checking out someone else's church, asking, what are they doing right? And we need to do that. How are they doing that? And they're wildly successful. And so then we just assume that's what you do. That's what works. And so here I am, trying to lead in multiple areas, while trying to lead like a youth pastor, That's just a youth pastor. Here I am 
leading in three to four different areas and I'm trying to lead the creative ministry as if I am a full-time creative director. And I fell into this mentality that I think we've all fallen into, this MVP mentality, where you buy into this lie that because you're leading the area, that you should be the most valuable person to your area. I love what Andy Stanley says. I mean, I'm an Andy Stanley fan. Like him, love him, leave him alone, whatever you choose. But successful uh, in a lot of different people's eyes. And I love what he says. He's like... I'm the leader here because I got here first. (laughs) He's like, when I walk into a room and I assume that I'm the smartest person in the room, that is not a good place. And yet it was so easy for me to think that if I'm called to lead these areas, that I need to be the most valuable player. I need to be doing everything. I need, you know, I need to, to be working in my ministry in such a way that if I were to leave, man, uh, that would not be good. And you've probably heard that is actually like the worst thing to build a ministry. And as a result of having this MVP mentality, I didn't realize it then, but I definitely start to see it now that if you are the most valuable person to your ministry, you likely won't bring what's most valuable about you to your ministry. If you are trying to be the MVP, uh, basketball fans, Cleveland Cavalier fans, anybody? I've got a few. All right, we'll move forward with this illustration. LeBron James versus Russell Westbrook. And for those of you that don't follow the NBA, that's, that's totally fine. Um, Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double this year, which is more than 10 points, more than 10 assists, more than 10 rebounds in, in some facet like that. He's incredible. He's doing everything. And yet LeBron just continues to be a little bit more successful. How many of you watch LeBron know that if he wanted to get a triple-double every game, he'd probably get a triple-double every game? But by trying to do everything, he'd take away from the people on his team that are willing and wanting to contribute. And as a result, the most valuable thing about LeBron, which I think is just his innate ability to make other people just play better, that would be removed because he'd be trying to do everything. And so as a result of having the MVP mentality, you don't bring what's most valuable about you. But number two, you also rob people within your ministries that are dying for an opportunity to invest in what you are leading. I don't know if this is the devil or my lack of confidence, but I still struggle to ask people to help out. But do you want to know the, the truth? They are literally waiting. They are on the sidelines going, put me in. And the things that you hate to do, there are people that are at your churches, no matter how big or small, that are like, I would love to do that. You're telling me that all I have to do is do the slides on a Sunday night and I can consider myself a part of this ministry? Uh, yes, sign me up. But as a result of thinking that because we're the leader, we have to be the most valuable person, we rob them of those opportunities. And this was, this was huge for me, especially when our student ministry, um, we, we launched, uh, this is now two years ago, and again, I, was, I had other things on my plate, and this wasn't, I definitely was not doing my, my best in this area right off the get-go, but do you want to know what our vision statement was for about the first six months of our student ministry? Do something. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I, we, we scheduled a youth ministry meeting. Anybody that wants to be a part of our youth ministry, anyone that wants to help lead, come. And I literally, this is like, I, I don't know why you guys are listening to me right now. But I, I go there and I'm like, so we just need to do something right now, alright? So we're just going to try something. Uh, I don't know. Let's do Sunday night services once a month. See what happens. I figure if we do something, it's better than doing nothing at all. Amen. Preach, you know, and fire. Let's, all right, let's do this. All right, do something on three. All right, and we did something, and as a result, we did something. And it was highly ineffective, and it was very inconsistent, and not many kids came. And so then, 
we knew that a change needed to happen, and I started reading some Doug Fields books and started to learn about how to, uh, you know, sum up on a vision statement, a mission statement, started to look at the ins and outs of really how to form a ministry that reaches students. And I knew that we were going to have to go to every week services. Every week services. To me, that just scared me. That just, I mean, it was horrifying to think that already within my role of doing all these different things, now every Wednesday night we're going to do student ministry. Every Wednesday we're going to preach the word. We're going to give an opportunity for students to engage with, with Jesus. And I'm glad that I went through the wrestling match that I had gone through six months earlier because as I approached this, I knew that I can't be the MVP and that if I am the MVP in this area, I will not bring what's most valuable about me to my team and as a result, I will, I will be the lid for our ministry. I will rob people of an opportunity to be involved. There is nothing that I like more than preaching. I love preaching. The, uh, the thought of preaching every single Wednesday night, man, man, that sounds great. But I had to take a look at my role. I had to reevaluate my role. And I look, is that possible for me? Is it possible within everything else that I am doing within our ministry at Adventure Church? Is that possible for me? Absolutely not. And when you look at that and you're honest with yourself about your own capabilities, it's amazing how God brings in the people to complement that. Do you know so much of our answered prayers and where we feel like God is not listening to us is just because we refuse to see our own boundaries and needs and shortages and weaknesses and inadequacies. And it's amazing how you guys, you say, God, I can't do this. All right, I'll bring someone else that will. And so I identified three other leaders that had never, ever preached in our youth ministry and said, you look like you could preach. <laughs> How about you preach once a month? And we began to start a rotation. And we began to move forward. And I'll tell you what, that's probably the most fulfilling thing that I, as I look back at my very, very short ministry career, I'm just like, man, like if I, didn't, if I don't do anything else, the fact that there's three other people that I get to help Preach. I get to give them an opportunity to grow in their own gifts and abilities. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says, where he's like, if 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 someone can do what you fifty percent as well what you do, hand it off. Mm-hmm. His old thing is, do only what you can do. For all of us in multifaceted ministry positions, <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Oh yeah, yeah, do it only I can do. But to let that be an aim and to look in the areas where it's just like, okay, what, what could someone else do? You may need to reevaluate your role. The second thing here, second thing is if you are struggling to stay sane, you are struggling to be successful within your split priorities, multifaceted ministry position, you may need to redefine success. So it's like totally a YMCA technique. If you can't hit the target, just move the target to where you are heading. Redefine success, right? Uh, so about a year after my conversation with Jeff Sturm, I had gotten into a flow. He had impacted me in an incredible way. I started to look at what I was doing differently. I began to say, that's not how I can do youth ministry. So you want to know what? That's not how we're going to do youth ministry here. That's, maybe that's how other people lead creative teams. That's not going to work for us here. I stopped glamorizing and really just idolizing huge ministries and saying, oh, if I could just be that. Well, you can't be like that. And so look into yourself and look for what works here. And I started to get into a flow. And we started to uh, produce more than we ever were. We started to get better at different areas. We started to get into a little bit of a rhythm with our youth ministry. And yet, I still felt discontent Although I was much more sane, 
I still felt like we weren't being successful. I still felt like I wasn't being successful. I still felt like I wasn't leaving it on the floor. I was still critiquing everything that we were doing and looking again at at whether it was a message I preached or how the ministry was doing. We're not growing. We didn't grow this last week. A, A video they were doing, looking at being like, if only, if only, if only. And it began to just rile up in the heart of me where I'm just like, I'm not successful. I'm not winning. And again, if you don't feel like you are winning, (laughs) it will only be a matter of time where you feel like quitting. And so I went to the person that I would highly suggest that you talk to about things. I went to my boss. And I sat down with Pastor Kyle and uh, awkwardly transitioned from our weekly checkup to, uh, I'm losing it out here. I don't know how much longer I can do this. Because uh, uh, we're doing all this stuff, but I just, I feel, like, I feel like I'm doing okay at a lot of things while not doing great at anything. I feel like, I feel like we're, doing, we're doing well, but I know that we could be, be doing a lot better if I could just be a youth pastor. And I sat back and I waited for his response. I thought this could go two ways. He could look back at me and say, you know what, Jake? From now on, just youth ministry. I don't want you doing anything else. Or I thought that he might fire me for having hit my lid as a leader in the church. (laughs) I would not have expected him to respond the way that he did. Because he looked at me and, and he said, okay, I hear you. Do you understand that no one on our team really feels like they're killing it in any area. Do you know that the senior pastor, that I don't feel like I'm killing it in every area? Do you know that we're, we all have other things that are going on? And then he began to affirm me. He's like, what if I told you that I am totally cool with how you are doing things? That I am happy that I think that the fact that you are doing things well is just as substantial as if you were doing one thing great. And he gave me this Larry Osborne quote, and it's something that I have to remind myself daily. But Larry Osborne says, uh, you need to stop expecting to produce your best. Rather, do your best and then rate it as doing your best under the current circumstances. If, if you constantly are judging what you're doing, how God is working through your life, and the measure that you are using is, was that the best that I could have done? You will tire yourself out, and you will never feel like winning. And as a result, if you are not feeling like you are winning, you will start to question whether God is working. And if you question whether God is working, it will only be a matter of time before you stop working. And so, you can't judge things by, was that the best that I could have done? But rather, you begin to rate the things that you're doing. You begin to look at the different areas and you say, was that the best that I could have done under the current circumstances? And you begin to bring everything in context. I want to tell you today that if you feel like you are just um, spread thin over your ministries and as a result, you're kind of the jack of all trades. I love when people say that um, about, uh, about different people and, and oftentimes when they say it about me, I'm like, great, that just means that I'm not really good at anything. It just means I can dabble, you know? Oh, you can play drums. No, that was called a beat. There is an entirely bigger difference between playing a beat and playing the drums, but sure. <laughs> Are you doing the best within the circumstances? Are you looking at your message on a Wednesday night and rather than thinking, is that the best that I've ever done? Is that the best that I could have done? Maybe you begin to give context to what you're doing and say, man, Monday I had a call from parents who their student is really, really wrestling with stuff right now. And I spent three hours out of my message prep day to speak into their lives. 
this is the best that I could have done. Man, I really feel like I'm dropping the ball in our life groups. would be so much better if I could just devote it. But you want to know what? I, I chose to be faithful to what my pastor asked me to do. And I, and I chose to spend time that I wanted to use towards the thing that I'm most passionate about because it's more important to be faithful than it is to be successful. And I love how God has proven time and time again that He will work with whatever we have. I love that it's almost comical as He begins to feed 5,000 people that He starts with a measly lunch from a poor kid. As if to say like, come on. Like, I mean, you guys have been there, whether it's been a message that you preach, whether it's been a conversation that you walk from, and you're like, I felt like I was stumbling all over my words. I felt like I had nothing good to say. And then the student texts you, I needed that. Wow, you were speaking right to me. I just laugh at God when I preach a message, and I walk off the stage, and I'm like, that was the worst thing I could have ever done. (laughs) That was the worst thing I could have ever done. Oh my gosh, that was just horrendous. And I'll spend three hours on a Sunday going, my goodness, God, have you called me? Have you? God, I'm willing to say that I'm not capable of what I'm doing. And then you get that email, oh my gosh, that was powerful, Jake. (laughs) And God's just going like, yeah, because it ain't about you. God has called us at the end of the day to be faithful, not to be successful. God has called us to work with what we have and stop fantasizing about how it could be if you had this. And if only we had more students, it would be like this. I I was with, you know, a buddy of mine in a, a church in Mount Vernon. And he just became the youth pastor there, and, and he's got about 10 to 12 students. And, and I could tell, like, it's just, he's trying. He's working really, really hard, trying to make it a place that, that students would want to come to. And it's just, man, I feel like we're having a hard time getting traction. And I felt like God began to speak through me to him. I'm like, bro, do you not understand that if you impact these 12 students, that you will literally be impacting hundreds? Because these students are all going to grow up. And they're likely all going to get married. And they're likely all going to have kids. And the decisions that they make right now in your ministry because of you and because of your faithfulness to them while you're thinking about how to be successful and how to grow a ministry by giving them a place that they can grow and be healthy in the Lord that it literally is changing their entire lives. That pumps me up when numbers are low. That excites me when I feel like I have nothing good to give. I love the story of uh, the parable of the talents. Where, where you know, God, Jesus is talking about how, you know, they gave one guy five talents, gave another guy two talents, gave another guy one talent, and guy with five goes and um, produces five more. Doubles it. Ten. The other guy with two doubles it, comes back, he's got four, and then that one scaredy cat guy because he had a wrong assumption about who his master was thought it would be better to just bury it and not do anything at all. You want to know what? If I had more of this, I would, have, I would have produced more, God. You know, God, if you gave me more time, I'd probably be a little bit more successful. And so I'm just going to bury it. Then how does the master respond to the first two? He says, Well done. Good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a little. Second person. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a little. And and, uh, and I just thought, I was like, I think it's really easy to be that second guy where we live our entire minds or li- live our entire lives wondering why we weren't given five. <laughs> God, why didn't you... Right? I mean, am I the only one that struggles with comparison? (laughs) 
where, again, you feel like you're winning, and then you see someone else's winning, and you're like, hmm. I think that the point that, that God's trying to, to get across is that, um, is that God does not distribute ability equally, but He always gives us an equal opportunity to be faithful. He doesn't call God unfair. He does not give us all the same capacities. And we need to praise God for individuals that do what we all would say is greater things. No, 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 no. God does not deal in good, great, greater. He just looks at faithfulness. Because the same people that are wildly successful and that we think are just, what are they, what are they doing differently? What are they doing differently? They may not be faithful to God. They may not be doing what God has told them to do. And for us, man, if we could just give God what He gave us to be able to say, God, You gave me this. I don't know about you, but I have to remind myself all the time that all that matters is that when I get to see Jesus face to face, that He looks at me and said, What'd you do? What'd you do with what I gave you? And I just say, I did the best that I could. And I know that in that moment, He's going to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. If you are struggling to stay sane and be successful with all of these different things that you're trying to invest in, you may need to stop and you probably need to stop almost weekly to re-evaluate your role. What are you doing that someone else is dying to do for your ministry? What is the most valuable thing about you that you can bring to your people and they're missing out on it because you're trying to be the most valuable player. You're trying to be the most valuable person in your ministry. You may need to reevaluate your role. And secondly, you may need to redefine success. A very, very, very practical, even another step, uh, level of practicality is... Talk to your pastor about this. Because there is no greater frustration wondering all the time whether your lead pastor thinks you're winning. Ask him, what does it look like? What do you see for me? Because I'll just be honest with you. I love Adventure Church. And Adventure Church is in my DNA. I love it, but I'll never love it and care about it like Pastor Kyle does. I just won't be able to. And I'm sure will say that no one will love it as much as that. But I, it's, it's different. And so no one wants you to win more than your lead pastor. So ask him, how, what does it look like for me to win? And I'm telling you, there is just that will just bring uh, your confidence to an incredibly different environment when you can walk around knowing, I'm winning. I'm doing the right things. I'm doing what my pastor asked me to do. Obviously, your pastor is not Jesus, and we don't live by his affirmation. But I'll tell you this much, it helps. <laughs> Last point, bonus point, is seize the season. I love playing the if-only game. It's one of the games that my counselor told me that I play in my mind. <laughs> Uh, I also like to, um, to, to make this statement. I can't do this forever. Anyone else? I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Here's a couple, a couple of encouragements. Um, you're right. You can't. Good news is, you probably won't. But while you are, there is an opportunity in the season that you're in. And when you begin to look at I think this is again, uh, Craig Rochelle, he's like, I look at every problem, I look at every opposition, and I try to find the opportunity in it. I mean, who, and I don't know what your guys is like, if you feel like God's called you further down the road to anything, but who has a better opportunity to figure out like how the church works than when you are having your hands in multiple different areas? Like, man, I wonder, like, what is God preparing you for that God would put you in a position that you would get to lead in not one area, not two areas, but multiple different 
areas. I, I love the idea that when we feel most limited, that that state of limitation is the incubator for innovation. Stop looking at how other people are doing it and look within your limitations and say, I can only do this and so how it's going to work. And it's just, it's funny, like you just read books about other people and what they did that works. And it's because they were limited and they just had to figure it out. And now other people are trying to put themselves in that box. It's like, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Like what are the limitations that God is using to encourage you to look to innovating your areas? Or maybe you don't do youth ministry like the youth ministry that is ten times bigger. Maybe you don't run things the same way. Just a different way of of looking at it. Um, Last thing, and this kind of goes back to um, just how to to rate your work and and how to define the win. And this is kind of something, again, it, it works for me. It helps me. It may not help you. But your best is not the goal. Your best under the circumstances is aim for excellence and grow content with good enough. Aim for excellence and then grow content with good enough. No, no motivational speaker gets up on the stage and says, all right, guys, go be good enough. But when you are called to a position that you've got your hands all over different things, you likely like, are never going to feel like it was your best because there's always going to be time that you wish that you could have spent on it. And again, God is not calling us to... Produce the best that we feel like we could have produced. He's calling us to be faithful. Alright. How much time we got, Matt? Time for Q&A. Time for Q&A, the best part. And I'll probably take your question and then divert it to many of the more mature believers here. What frustrates you in your Ministry. Let's just start there. Let's just fling it wide open. And then maybe someone else can speak to your frustration because they've been there, done that, moving on. What does your team look like? Who who else is doing the tweens with you guys? All right, and that's I mean that as hard as and difficult as it may be, I say that's where you start, and you just start looking for able bodies that are passionate about it that can help breathe life into that. Because if it if it remains just you, even if you I mean just imagine it this way: what if it did get up and running? What I mean, have you ever wondered this? What if God did grow your church? Can we talk about that? Like, what would we be prepared? Yeah. If we went from six kids one Wednesday to 50 or 30 or 50 the next one, would we be prepared? Obviously, no, we would not. Yeah. We would be like, ah! You know? Um, so, we, how do you get that ball rolling? So. Yeah, and so I would say consider this a blessing that the pressure is not on right now and use the opportunity to find those key leaders and to find what, what you need. What is your, you know, for, and every ministry is different and, you know, how you run your services and, you know, programming is different, but, you know, we step back and look at and just start writing down. What are our needs? Who do we need to make this happen? And then you use that 
and you start asking people and you start identifying in them, hey, I think you'd be really great in this position. I'm going to train you. I'm going to show you how to do this. You're going to win in this area. And because you win, this is going to make this possible. And here's what we're thinking is going to happen. Here's what we're hoping God can do through this ministry if we can get this up and running. But honestly, and just be honest, we can't get this running without you. We need you. Any other questions? Matt answered just all... Oh, Matt, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you wear multiple hats. Is there like a practical way you've organized your week? Oh, great question. Great question. Some people hate this, um, and I'm so glad you asked because it literally is in my notes. Asana. Anyone familiar with Asana? And I know some people hate it. But Asana has changed my life. It's a project management tool and it's free um, unless you start bringing tons of other people on with your team. Um, But yeah, man, that may be the most practical thing that has made me just... I mean, you don't understand. Like, I didn't understand how much I just was exhausting myself because I had to think about what I needed to do and think about. (laughs) And so, with Asana... I, it's, and you have to train yourself. I train myself every morning. That's the very first thing. Before emails, I look at my asana. And it's so encouraging to see that I have 25 tasks today that I have to do, which sounds like a lot. You want to know what's more frustrating? Having 25 tasks to do, and you don't know that you need to do them. <laughs> that's frustrating. And for me, I'm very task-oriented. I love like just I, I loved when I worked full time for my dad's landscaping business for ten years. I loved it. There were I mean I still I'm like God I'd love that sense of fulfillment because when I used to walk from a yard after cutting the grass I go that is good you know neighbors waving to me it looks beautiful I'm like God can I get one of those like with student ministry not one student has ever told me you know um, and so to, to create a, a way for you to know that you're doing what you need to do and on Mondays I've got like that's when I try to keep as much of my task driven um, work where it's like alright I update the Clyde.Church our student website and I need to make sure that's updated oh, doom. check that off excellent and I don't have to think about it so that, yeah, that, that's huge for me. And then there's also Trello. Trello is another option. Um, but uh, Asana is just very clean and just very listy, which is a word. Look it up. <laughs> Anybody else? So, Andy? This, is, this, this might be just kind of like personal questions, but like, uh, out of like, 12 years of your experience being a youth pastor, what was actually the hardest process you did through? Um, this is a personal question, so I'm going to get personal. Um, and I, Matt talked about this, and this is, this is huge, is the best, oh, this is what Nate told me, I mean, he just told me this about five months ago, the best way to surrender your life and your wants and your desires and your vision for your life is to fully invest into someone else's vision. And within youth ministry, it's just difficult because although you are a part of the church, it is very easy to start expressing things that are your way of doing things. And it's amazing how the enemy, like Matt said in his last session, will creep in and he'll start speaking through other people, you know, and where it's just like, oh, I like the way that you do this. And that will cripple you. And it has been, over the last two years, just for God, very, um, honestly, just very forcefully and, and almost painfully, like getting me to a position where it's just, man, I, I am the best thing I can do is be completely behind my pastor's vision. The best thing that I can do is wholeheartedly serve it. Even if, and I'll, you know, this is going online, so I gotta be careful. But I don't feel like that very often. But Pastor and Colin, I know we have different ideas, different mindsets. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna get behind his. Let's do it. And I'm gonna act on it as if it was my own. 
that's probably the be- that's probably the hardest thing that I had to learn, but it was so rewarding. Oh my gosh, the way that it changed my dynamic with Pastor Kyle, the way that it developed our relationship. Book that really helped me with that was Three Kings, Tale of Three Kings, kind of a. Uh, um, it, a little, almost a fictional recollection of David, Saul, and Absalom, and how David responded to someone's leadership that was trying to kill him when David had the God-given right to take the throne, and then when David was in the position, how he had Absalom trying to kill him while he was in the position God gave him. And how David just kept this. God, I love one of the parts of the book. I think David says, um, I didn't fight to get here, and so I'm not going to fight to keep me here. God, is, if this is your way of moving me out, let it be. Man, to have that type of relationship with your vision, with your calling. Hmm. Jake Willard probably some of the other great reads that you recommend. Get to you, my friend, just a second. Um, so... Um, youth ministry, uh, what Matt had, had recommended, um, but then also, um, gosh, uh, purpose-driven youth ministry, Doug Fields. Um, and then uh, application books. Oh, man, let me think here. Um, a really tough read, long read, was Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. He's the co-founder um, of Pixar. Um, that will really that really helped me in how I view teamwork and how I view um, presenting ideas. You know, he he talks about how they challenge their teams um, that when you are working on something that you are very very passionate about, that you get to a point where you set it on the table. Here's what it is, and you step away and you are able to look objectively at it. Because as long as you have your hands on it, you will be covering up holes. Because it's personal. And so if you can step away, you'll see more of it. And then the beauty is is that when people talk about it, you're able to say, oh, thank you. Because that's not me. My message is not me. It's personal, but it's not me. Um, So that that was a great book. Um, Let me think. Uh, Man, on the spot, it's way harder to recommend books. Um, I love a lot of uh, Mark Batterson stuff. Um... I, you know, as far as like just uh, very inspirational kick in the butt. You know, if your dream doesn't scare you, then it's not big enough. Um, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. If um, uh, wild goose chase. Um, Larry Osborne's thriving in Babylon. That's really just really good for our nation right now, and how to deal with the idea of compromise and how to live in a. A nation that is not following Jesus and how we can best serve them and communicate to them. Um, what constitutes winning and losing for a vibrant youth ministry? Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I, again, take this worth a grain of salt. Um, but for us, we developed a mission statement that constitutes the five pillars of really any church's mission statement and it's all biblically based Um, and we looked at this and said this is what we want to see happen we want to help students discover a new life in Christ that's our vision this is our mission if we do these five things we win regardless of whether a hand goes up on Wednesday nights regardless of whether we grow over three weeks we believe that if we do these things that's winning and that is our anchor when we have a week where there's 15 fewer students than the previous week. And you're going, what are we doing? And we're scrambling. And because you're in youth ministry, you know that you do have the flexibility to just change your whole entire thing overnight. Like, all right, we're scrapping that Thursday nights because they didn't show up on Wednesday nights. you know. And so that's kind of our anchor to where we go back to, no, we're, we're, we're doing what we believe is winning. And we believe that if we're faithful to this, that God's... Because here's the thing. Hands raised and kids saved, that's God's job. That's the rewards of success. That's not necessarily success. Life change, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. 
Are we putting ourselves into position where God can use us? And oftentimes when we get frustrated and we're looking and saying, this isn't working, when we come back to those five things, our mission state, when we come back to that, usually there's a hole. And we'll go, oh, we're dropping the ball on that area. We need to pick that up. How are we doing for time, Matt? We're ready to go. Sweet. Well, let's pray real quick if you guys don't mind because you guys are uh, incredible. And no matter how big, no matter how small you may feel your influences or, or your ministry is, I just, I love the stories. Like, not of Billy Graham, but the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord. Like, man, and I, are you willing? Like, are we willing to say, God, if that's the greatest thing that you do through me I'm down Lord thank you so much um, just for how you use us how you work in us and we know that all the frustrations and confusion and really just sense of wonder about what is happening you are leveraging Lord God to get our focus onto you Lord God, you are using um, all of our inadequacies you are using our shortcomings And where we just feel like failures, God, you are leveraging those things to get our focus on to you. And so I pray over this group of individuals, Lord, how you've called them and you've anointed them, Lord, to do your work. God, would you just begin to reassure them and reaffirm them, you're doing what I told you to do. You're faithful. You're faithful. Stop looking at success. Stop looking at what you think it looks like to be a successful youth pastor. Stop looking at the numbers. Stop looking at, oh, you know, I feel like we're not changing students. Just keep your eyes on me. You're doing what I want you to do. And just as Galatians says it, at the right time and in the perfect season, we'll reap a harvest. If we are faithful and we don't give up, if we're persistent, not if we're perfect, but if we just keep doing it, God, let that be us. We pray this in your name. Amen.